Christian. We are coming this morning to John chapter 6. If you have your copy of scripture, I invite you to turn there with me. We're looking at John chapter 6 this morning as we're picking up where we left off two Lord's Days ago. And we have most recently seen the Lord Jesus heal the man at the pool of Bethesda. And then all of the conflict that that produced with the religious leaders in Israel who hated him for doing that on the Sabbath day, which then led into Jesus giving that great defense of his deity, that all that the Father was doing, he was doing, all that the Son was doing, the Father was doing, and how the Father has all authority and the Son has all authority, and he's given all authority to the Son. And so whoever sees the Son sees the triune God in his fullness, and All the works that the Son is doing have the divine stamp upon them. And we have seen that fourfold witness to the Lord Jesus in John the Baptist, the scriptures, the works that the Father was doing, and in the testimony of Moses um, that should have caused all of the Jews to believe. They had plenty of evidence. And now there is a new section, and, and this is a transition in the Gospel of John, and we're looking here at John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and it's a lengthy portion of Scripture, but I'm going to read it for the sake of context, and then I was in a merciful mood today, so even though we're going to read the whole passage, we're going to take a bird's-eye view approach to what we're looking at this morning. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. By the way, Jesus already knows this, because he knew what he was going to do. And Andrew said, What are they among so many, for so many. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gathered up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten them. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went to the sea, got in a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. 
On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give unto you. For in him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? By the way, he just did a sign. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. What sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And here's the theme verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh... Of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that our fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, when I was a very young boy, we had a small television because we were not wealthy enough to get a big television in the 80s. And, um, and I remember watching those recurrent commercials on whatever channels we were watching and mixed in there with L. Ron Hubbard's Dianetics that came on like every third commercial in the mid-80s was what were commercials about an organization that was caring for starving children in third world countries. And it was meant to it was meant to pull on our heartstrings in such a wealthy country and, and seeing, seeing famished children in Africa is meant to have a deep impression on you. Um, recognizing how many people can't find their necessary food in this world is meant to, to arouse in us compassion and care for others. And yet what I think is interesting is even as we recognize physical needs in in impoverished countries, so many of us don't recognize that all around us everywhere are people that look exactly like that spiritually. There are spiritually malnourished men and women all around us. And by nature, we are spiritually malnourished. Um, This passage is going to teach us by Jesus' miracle that, that what we know in the physical realm serves as a very simple and beautiful picture about what is true in, in the spiritual realm. I was thinking about that quote by Augustine. You know, Augustine was, was living a hedonistic life. He was trying to please himself. He was, he was pleasing himself with women. He was pleasing himself with education and with academic success and status. And then he's converted and and in his confessions, you know that great statement, he, he prays to God. He says, Lord, our souls are restless until they find rest in you. Here was a man that came to understand his spiritual impoverishment, and, and he understood the condition of his heart. And yet what's interesting, and I want us to see this morning, what's interesting is that even though Jesus does this, and he does it for us, he does it to help us understand that what we need more than anything is bread for our souls, and that bread is the flesh, the broken body of Jesus, and the poured out blood of Jesus, and what we need most of all more than anything else, so many people never come to see their need for. Even people who sat there and saw and heard did not see the greater need, and they were fixated on the lesser need. Um, Eric Alexander, the Scottish pastor, said this once, and I found this so helpful. He said to be spiritually needy is one thing. Everybody is spiritually needy. That's why when I go to my gym, there are 40 maxims that have nothing to do about Jesus. People are needy. They need something. Everyone is needy. 
To be spiritually needy is one thing. To be spiritually hungry is a totally different thing. Alexander says it is possible to be spiritually needy without being spiritually hungry. And Jesus sought to enlarge the appetites of people by displaying his lavish grace in this miracle of the feeding of the multitudes. Now, I want us to see this morning just two things. I want us to consider first here the miracle, and then I want us to consider the meaning of the miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and then the meaning of the miracle. Now, before I do look at this, I'll just tell you this. If you, if you were wondering if we were ever going to finish the reading this morning, this is the longest chapter in John's Gospel. And it all goes together. It's very difficult to break it up. It's meant to go together. Um, this is also the fourth of seven miracles in John's Gospel. This is the fourth of the seven miracles. This chapter also contains the first of the seven I am sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel, where he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven, the first of seven I am sayings. And as I noted already, verse 35 is the central theme of this passage, and we'll come to look at that in more detail in a moment. Let's look at the miracle together here. um, Jesus has moved on. He's moved from Galilee, and um, now he's gone over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd was following him. Best guess is that this is upward to 20,000 people. Uh, John tells us that it was a large multitude, 5,000 in number, verse 10. And yet Matthew and the other gospel writers tell us that that was men besides women and children. So estimates are as large as 20,000 people. That's, that's a big crowd. Um, I was watching... Uh, college football game last night, there were 106,870 people in the stadium. And I thought, wow, imagine just 20,000 of them following Jesus. No big production, no stages, no platforms, no mics, no music, no concerts, no football. 20,000 coming to listen to the Savior. That's the sort of popul- popularity that Jesus had gained from just the beginning of his ministry and all the things that were being said about him and all the, the public notoriety that he was now getting. And, and notice that they come and they want to see more signs. They've seen the signs he's doing on the sick. And, and notice verse 5, lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, here's one of the wonderful things. Sometimes it's possible and especially in churches like ours where we love the word and we love doctrine and we love the proclamation of truth and the defense of truth and we love evangelism and we love family worship, we can sometimes hyper-spiritualize Christianity and we can think that caring for physical needs is unimportant. There are many in our circles that can do that. Jesus never did that. Here is the Savior of the world, and he cares about the physical hunger of the people following him. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd, we're told elsewhere. He knows that they're tired, he knows that they're hungry, and he wants to care for their physical needs. Jesus cares about our physical needs, as we read in the law of God. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Our God cares about those things. And Jesus cares about these people, and 
Notice that he knows that they don't have bread. He knows that there's no grocery store. Imagine living in this day when food was not easy to come by and you couldn't just go to a grocery store. That's, that's a significant thing. And yet, remember, John told them Jesus knew what he would do. Notice verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I, I sometimes think um, whatever Jesus wanted to have known, he could have known as a man in his humanity. That there was nothing that he couldn't have known if he had wanted to and if his father had wanted him to. And in some way, perhaps by revelation, um, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew that somewhere in the crowd there was a boy with five barley loaves and, and a few f- small fish, and he knew what he was going to do, and he knew that he was going to train his disciples, and he was going to teach them about his power to provide. Um, that's a big lesson here. Jesus is teaching about his power to provide. Um, they, they don't know where resources come from. You know, there's a lesson here, a word for us in, in the church. Um, the church the church is very frail and the church always lacks resources the needs of any given church if it is a growing biblical church always outpace the resources of the church and there's a reason for that it's because we're to see that God is the one who provides for the ministry needs of his church And Jesus is teaching the disciples that even as he's going to teach, uh, even as he's going to teach these people, this great multitude about um, the greater need that they have, he he is teaching his disciples, I'm going to provide, I'm going to equip you, I'm going to, I have everything necessary in myself, look to me for provisions. This is a miracle of Jesus's lavish generosity toward his people. Um, If you ever think of Jesus as a harsh taskmaster, you come to a passage like this and you see this is a savior who is lavish in his generosity. Um, He's so lavish that they take up extra food. And we know that that's for the provision for his own disciples, don't we? Um, He he provides above and beyond what anyone has need for. And and it's good for us to remember that, and let me say this this morning, because what we read in the law of God is a is, is a, is a uh, recurrent sin issue in our souls. We get anxious. We get worried. We wonder, what if this happens? What if that happens? Especially if you stream the news all day. We, we get anxious. We wonder. We worry. We fret. We fear. We scheme. We, we, we try to plan out how we, how we can make sure that we have what we need and we're secure. And, and Jesus says, don't do that. I'll never forget hearing this story 25 or so years ago. Jay Adams was at a conference, the biblical counselor, and, and it was apparently a couple thousand people. And he said, he said, I'd like to see a show of hands. How many of you have committed adultery? And nobody put their hands up because it was a big conference. And then he said, how many of you have ever been anxious? And everybody put their hands up. And he said, you just showed me what you think is the acceptable sin, the respectable sins, anxiety, worry. Jesus is saying, I know what I'm going to do. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I can do? 
even for your physical needs. And so he does this incredible miracle. You know that this is the first of two great feedings. Some theologians think this one was for the Jews in specific, and some think the feeding of the 4,000 was for Gentiles. It may be. But, but we are learning that he is the Savior who provides. And even as we are to trust him for the salvation of our souls, we are to trust the Lord Jesus for all the lesser things. Isn't that wonderful that you have a Savior? You can pray for the lesser things even as you pray for the greater things. And his willingness, his humility, his compassion. Notice, this is a miracle of compassion. Um, Jesus is driven. Did you know that? The Bible says that the man Christ Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, was moved from inside out with compassion. We do not think about that enough. He's not just going to bring judgment on the last day. He brings compassion in the here and now. And we need a Savior who is compassionate. And so this is a miracle of generosity. This is a miracle of compassion. Now, notice verse 15. Something unusual happens. The people, Jesus perceives they're about to come and they're about to make him king. And, and Jesus will not have them make him king because he understands that they have wrong views about him. They just want a king that can fill their bellies with bread. If this man could do this right now, let's make him king. He can give us more physical things. We can have more physical prosperity. We can have more material prosperity. The way they view Jesus is he can take care of all of our needs, and if he gives us bread like this, just out of, out of the blue, so to speak, then we're going to have greater incomes. We're going to be able to spend our money in different ways. He's going to make our lives better. Our standard of living is going to go up. This is the kind of king we want. This is the kind of king we want. And notice, John says, perceiving, verse 15, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus will not let people continue to entertain wrong views about him. Um, we have to ask ourselves the question, oftentimes, am I, am I only seeking to follow Jesus so that he'll serve my ends, or am I following Jesus because I want him to use me in serving his ends? Am I following Jesus because I want him to serve my ends, or am I following Jesus because in my ends, I'd rather be serving his ends rather than he serving mine? Um, that's really the transitional point of this miracle. Yes, Jesus cares about our physical needs, but there is a greater purpose to this. And so secondly, I want us to consider the meaning of the miracle. Now you know this. This is a, this is a symbol of redemption, Everything that Jesus does is going to have a spiritual significance to it. And one of the really amazing things, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, is that our Savior is so wise, our God is so wise, that he takes something like bread and wine in the supper. He takes something like bread here with the multitudes, something that everyone can understand, 
And he turns it into a symbol of the greatest need that you have in your life. Um, Charles Spurgeon made this great point. I have to just read this to you. Charles Spurgeon made this great point about um, the, 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 the symbol itself. Listen to this. Spurgeon said, our Savior uses very simple figures. He uses very simple symbols. Think, think of him calling himself bread. Think about that. He says, I'm the bread. I'm bread. How condescending that the commonest article on the table should be the fullest type of Christ. Wow. Only Spurgeon can do that. <laughs> the commonest the commonest sim- element on the table, bread, becomes the fullest type of Christ. So that children and adults at whatever age you are can understand there's a greater need beyond the physical bread. Spurgeon goes, think of his calling our faith, eating and drinking of himself. Nothing could be more instructive. At the same time, nothing could better set forth his gentleness and humility He does not object to speak of our receiving him. God be thanked for the simplicity of the gospel. You know, in a day when the world is scrambling to come up with complicated philosophies and worldviews and ideologies, and they keep complicating everything and complicating everything, and people are trying to understand the complicated things, and they're trying to control the minds and the hearts of the people with complicated things, Jesus says, look at the bread, see the bread, I am the bread that came down from heaven, Moses gave your fathers the bread in the wilderness, I am the true bread that came down, whoever eats of this bread will live forever, my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. Um... The totality of what Jesus says in this passage is the gospel, the simple, unadulterated gospel. Um, Now, the people remember a time when Moses did give the bread from heaven to the Israelites in the wilderness, and whether they are recognizing some sort of correlation between what Jesus did and what Moses did, it actually seems like they've just received this miraculous feeding from the hands of Jesus, and, and now they're, they're saying to him, well, we want more bread, and what else are you going to do? Do you remember how Moses did that? Can you do that? They're essentially saying, you remember, which is totally ironic because it was him giving the bread in the wilderness. Can, can, can you do what Moses did, Jesus? And And Jesus essentially says, oh, I can one-up Moses. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I came from the bosom of the Father. I am the bread of life that gives life to the world. Everything Moses did was merely pointing to me. It was all pointing to me. He is the greater Moses. He is the bread. He leads his people through the wilderness of this world. He brings about the greater exodus. He is the Passover lamb. It all points to the Lord Jesus. And and yet, the people can't see the the meaning of the miracle. 
How, how tragic, isn't it, that people can hear the simplicity of the gospel but can never see their spiritual need and can never come to a place of real spiritual hunger like Augustine who said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Well, there is that Old Testament background. The people respond after hearing these things and, and they, they say to him, sir, give us this bread always. They, they're very much like the woman at the well, aren't they? Remember when she said, just give me this water so I don't have to come here again and thirst, and she doesn't get it. It's the same analogy. They say, sir, give us this bread always. He says, I am the bread, and, and they've heard him talk about doing the works of God, and then they say, and they've heard him say, don't labor for the food that perishes. Don't spend your life just trying to lay up for yourself physical things and be satisfied with physical and material and social things. Don't, don't, give your, don't give your energy to that. And then by way of analogy, he says, labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Well, the irony is you can't. He says, which the Son of Man is going to give you. You can't really labor for it, but you should be desiring it. And he's going to give it to you. And then the people say, okay, you know what, Jesus? We're, we're done with you. You teach us how to do these things, and we'll do them. I just drop the hymnal. You teach us, you teach us how to do the works of God, and Jesus says to them, this is the work of God, it's his work, that you believe in the Son. Um... The rest of this discourse, as you know, and I want us certainly to turn over and look at this together. If you would look down with me um, at verse 44. Verse 43, Jesus says to them, do not grumble. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So, in all of this, Jesus is teaching them that there's actually nothing you can do to come to a place of recognizing spiritual hum hunger. That's the divine prerogative of the Father drawing sinners to the Son and making them see their need for him. I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Surprised by Joy, but at the end of one of the chapters in that book, Lewis uh, recounts his conversion. And, and he more or less says this. He says, you know, I, I hated Christianity. Everything in me kicked against it. I, I was kicking and screaming, and God was drawing me, even while I was kicking and screaming. Lewis says, at least the prodigal was walking home. He said, I was kicking and screaming. And he said, and yet God was drawing me. And, and Lewis is reflecting there on what we're reading in this passage. No one can come to the Son unless the Father who sent him draws him. Now, there is an encouragement to faith in this passage. Let me say this. In so much as it's true that no one can believe in the Lord Jesus unless God sovereignly enables he or she to do so, and unless he sovereignly draws them, here's the encouragement to faith. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, 
and this is the most important word in this chapter, I will never cast out. Sinclair Ferguson made that point, the word never is the word, most important word in this chapter. Jesus says, all that the Father has given me. You see, in the councils of eternity, if you're a believer, you are a believer today, you have seen your need to feed on the flesh and the blood of the Lord Jesus, because in the councils of eternity, in the covenant of redemption, in what theologians call the pactum salutis, in the the inner Trinitarian covenant between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, the Father gave the Son commands, promises, and obligations and said, my Son, you will be the Redeemer of a people who are undeserving, and I am going to choose them in you. I am going to choose a people in you, not because of anything in them, not because of anything good in them, in fact, despite all the evil in them. And my son, I am choosing them in you from all eternity, and you will go and you will step in their place, and you will keep the law of God perfectly for them, and you will obey my command to lay down your life for them and to take it again. We read of that in John chapter 10. Jesus says, this command I received from my father to lay down my life, to take it again. And, and, and in that eternal counsel, God secured that you would one day feel your need to feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. About 13 years ago, 14 years ago, I started a blog. I didn't even know what blogging was then. Um, And as I thought of a a title for it, I, I couldn't think of anything except what Jesus said in this chapter, one of the most important verses in the Bible, where Jesus says, whoever feeds on me will live because of me. Whoever feeds on me will live because of me. Um, I had someone at seminary say to me, that sounds Roman Catholic. I said, that sounds like John 6. (laughs) Doesn't sound Roman Catholic. It sounds straight out of the Bible. It's an explicit verse, feeding on Christ. Are we feeding on the Lord Jesus by faith? Are we feeding on him? Are we feeding on his person and his work? Isn't it interesting when Jesus explains this miracle? He doesn't just say, in my person I am the bread, and so listen to my teaching and follow my example. He says, in my person I am the bread, whoever feeds on me. But then he says, my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He connects his person, and his work. And he says, if you want to know what it is to feed on me and to have your soul nourished and satisfied, you have to come to the cross where my body, the bread, is broken apart in judgment. Um, I often wonder how the Lord Jesus in his flesh would have meditated on things like the making of bread, the beating of the grain, and then the breaking of the bread, and know that that was going to be a picture of what he would endure on the cross for us, for our sin, for our lack of hungering after him, for our wanting him to please our ends rather than for him to draw us to use us to his ends. 
I want to read you this. There's such a beautiful picture here today. Inasmuch as Jesus has said, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, he's also holding himself out to anyone who will come and feed on him. Isn't that glorious? In the same chapter. Um, I had somebody ask me once, would you ever preach the doctrine of election in evangelism? I said, well, Jesus did. John 6. He did it all through this chapter. But he doesn't do it to the exclusion of holding himself out. He says, come to me. J.C. Ryle, I love this quote. J.C. Ryle says, the soul of every man is naturally starving and famishing through sin. Christ is given by God the Father to be the satisfier, the revealer, the physician of man's spiritual needs. In him and his mediatorial office, in him and his atoning death, in him and his priesthood, in him and his grace, love, and power, in him alone will empty souls find their wants supplied. In him there is life. He is the bread of life. And so the big question we have to ask ourselves today is, am I feeding on the Lord Jesus, his flesh and his blood, by faith? Am I seeing that greater than all the needs I may perceive as great needs in my life, there is one that is infinitely, and let me say this, eternally more significant than all of those needs? This is This is a discourse on eternity. I will give him eternal life. All of eternity hangs on this. Am I feeding on the Lord Jesus? Have I seen my need for him? Do I see where my sin is atoned for? Do I see how my sin-parched soul is satisfied? Because we are trying to satisfy ourselves with a thousand things that can never satisfy us. And if there's one thing, Jesus said, I am the bread. I'm going to read to us here as we close. This verse again, verse 35, I want you to look there with me. This is the theme verse, and it's it's an exceedingly compassionate and gracious promise of the Lord Jesus. And as we prepare to come to the table this morning, it's the word that we need to hear. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for such a one as the Lord Jesus that you have given us true bread from heaven. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you would offer yourself so freely to us to satisfy the greatest need of our soul. We thank you that even as our souls need spiritual rest, you are the one who says, I have come to give you rest. Lord, we pray that you would make us to not only see our need, but to gain a true spiritual hunger this morning, to be feeding on your flesh and your blood as they were offered up on the cross for our sin. We pray, our God, that you would give us the eyes of faith that we might feed on the Lord Jesus this morning as we come to the table that you would prepare us. We thank you for the simplicity of the gospel.
We thank you for the sovereignty, Father, with which you draw sinners to your Son. And we thank you for those sweet promises that the one that comes to him will never be cast out. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.